the editor-in-chief of the Cornell Review, a correspondent for Campus Reform, a young scholar at Cornell University. He hosted a talk show that broadcast to 20 million people. He's a best-selling author, and he's just getting started. The one, the only, Joe Silverstein. everyone welcome to this episode of the joe silverstein podcast i'm now joined with alex garrett he's the host of the very popular new york city-based alex garrett podcast and he's the former executive producer of the joe silverstein show on am 970 alex how are you doing today joe i just gotta say thanks for having me on and you know people that may not may not know know you but or not even in the studio with you because we're all social distancing right now but you are fired up i mean every sunday night on the air, you were fired up about something. And your passion is kind of what my passion is, right? So we're younger. We want our peers to know the other side of the story. And I think you tried to tell that very well. And you do that too on this podcast. So kudos to you for moving this forward. And the Cornell Review is a pretty big deal too. So congrats. Yeah, it's great having you on the show. And we've been talking about doing this. And actually, prior to doing this episode, I was thinking about taking a break from the podcast because I think we're at the point now where what's happening is pretty obvious. And the people who get it, which is most people, they get it. They know what's happening. They understand. And mm-hmm. I don't want to sound cynical, but if you don't get it with everything that's going on, if you don't get it when they'll, they're beating people in the streets and they're burning Bibles and books it's going to be pretty hard for you to get it. Perhaps you're someone who may never get it. Um, so, but Joe, that, did you get that idea off right off my Facebook? Because that's exactly what I posted tonight. I In didn't. Fact, I, I saw that you had posted that this, these times are, are struggling times and that this is a time that God is testing us. And I would say yeah. that God is testing us. I did see that on your Facebook. So what inspired this was, and I love listening to the Yankee games and everything. But in sports talk, I'm noticing people are complaining a lot about how the season's going, right? We're in a 60-game season for Major League Baseball. And I start there because, A, we've had so much stuff going on in this country. Who cares if it's a seven-inning doubleheader? I really don't. I'm just thinking people are alive to play. You know, I think there's what we've seen in the last months, and you show me the headline about the New York Post with the shootings up, and the NY Post again today saying the, NY Post, uh, the shootings in New York are going to reach a grim milestone. Joe, this is New York. There's no supposed to be a grim milestone here in New York. But because there is, it makes you and I, and people who have power right now, should be so grateful they have that power. Because we right now have 25,000 that don't. And so, Joe, I just, we need to flex our gratitude muscle even more. Let's put it that way. Definitely. I agree with that. And I would say, I mean, let's get right into it. What's happening in the city is a, is a disgrace. I'm ashamed of this city. This city is becoming a certain word that I won't use. It's becoming a dump, let's say. It's really something that is disappointing to see how many people in the population have actually turned on the police and turned Mm. on the NYPD, despite the fact that, oh, it was only so long ago, the police were running into burning buildings known as the Twin Towers for 9-11. They were running up those stairs, mm-hmm. running into danger, and so were the firefighters. And now what you see is people jumping on fire trucks and obstructing- uh, Jumping on fire trucks. Fighters. They actually injured an FDNY, maybe even murdered him, I don't know, but I know they injured him uh, pretty badly. And as they arrested him, did you see the video of the FDNY crew surrounding the car 
because this guy just beat up one of their own. I mean, that's the unity we have to see. Uh, we have to see unity around calling out the bad people. We have to see unity around cleaning up the city. And I would say it's a dump in certain places because we still see boarded up businesses, right? And I'm disheartened by that. I love the city. And yet on the other side, I'm seeing businesses booming. I do see some outdoor restaurants happening. I do see people out and about. So Joe, we got to ask this question. How do we bring the boarded up businesses and the people who are going about their lives more freely now than they were a few months ago? How do we bring this together and say, we're not going to have the boarded up businesses. Every part of the city will be in order. When will that happen? When will that start, Mayor de Blasio? Well, I'll tell you this. I could answer that question. I think the way you bring the people together at this stage is first mm -hmm. through strength, because there's mm -hmm. a certain faction that you're not going to bring together. And I'm not talking about the peaceful protesters. I know a couple of friends who went out to daytime peaceful protests on Staten Island. And um, I have a feeling if they really knew what the organization Black Lives Matter stood for, they wouldn't have been protesting under their banner, but they were well-intentioned. And mm -hmm. we have to reach out to those people and we have to make the effort. But there's a, f a fraction and a faction within that that are radical, that are anarchists, that are terrorists. You look at the New York leader, the chapter, mm -hmm. New York chapter leader of Black Lives Matter. He was on Fox News and he said, if we don't want, get what we want, we're gonna burn this system to the ground. That's called political terrorism. That's political terrorism. Well, and and maybe you know this. This is important here that the listeners to understand. The definition of terrorism is to threaten violence if you do, mm -hmm. to obtain a political end. And that's terrorism. So to answer your question, the first thing that I would say that we have to do is put those people behind bars. Let's put it gently. We'll put them behind bars. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's at the least of what we have to do. But the police can't be handcuffed. And I would say handcuff the criminals, not the police. The, the second point I want to raise really quickly, and then I want to let you jump back in, uh, sure. is in regard to something you said about the businesses. I don't actually think that the businesses are booming. I think that there has been some success with regard to the outdoor dining, and that's a good thing. Uh, however, it's time to open up the businesses. Even mm -hmm. NEOC today, I'm not sure the context in which she asked, she probably was advocating against the school's opening, so I'm not going to quote her uh, as a, to invoke sure. her name, you know, for my argument. But that being said, though, even AOC said, how come the schools could open, but the restaurants can't open? Now, she was probably one of the opposite. She probably didn't want the schools to open. But I'm saying, in fact, you should have the schools open and have the restaurants open because yep. there's all types of economic reports that these restaurants are choking these small businesses. Right. And how is it, I don't know if you saw my post, how is it that this mayor could actually start a new project of putting bike lanes in downtown Manhattan, where now there's only one lane of traffic uh, on Broadway right now, on, on a lot of it from downtown Broadway. Ironically, no bike lane in front of City Hall. Funny how that works, right? Anyway, you have the 150 miles starting up again. So if those projects can keep going, Joe, why can't businesses why can those projects keep going but how dare you open up the indoor you'll be fine how dare you know you do this we're going to take your liquor license away well the, there's actually a, the imbalance yeah. drives me crazy and hypocrisy actually 
Definitely imbalanced. And I want to ask you this because on Staten Island, I've seen plenty. Uh, the Marina Cafe had their liquor license taken away, which is a very popular restaurant on the island. There was another one that was more towards the North Shore, I believe. He had his liquor license taken away. I actually want to maybe have him on the show. And it seems that there's a targeting of businesses. And also, I mean, there's a targeting of churches. We talked about that on your podcast when you were sure. gracious enough to have me on. So it's definitely, I would say, an unequal application of the law. So this mayor is gonna go in 2021. However, the real question is, who's gonna replace him? Is it gonna mm. be someone who shares the same sick, degrading, twisted ideology that's led this city into hell? Because that he's just look at even Bloomberg. You got to give Bloomberg a little credit. I don't a know. lot of credit. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He and Giuliani kept the city safe. Um, I had no problem with what Ray Kelly was doing to police the city. Uh, racial profiling is unfortunate. However, I think we had to do something to keep the city safe. And I just, when they start saying stop and frisk didn't work, I start scratching my head because right now shootings are record highs so it's just and in today's world it's tough to say you should be in favor of stop and frisk but i still think that should be applied in maybe a different way i don't know but there should still be some enforcement here i mean how is it joe i'm in cunningham park and yet there's an nypd car going around the park i'm like i didn't see nypd cars going around the rooting the looting the lighting the rioting and I did see NYPD cars backing up from the rioters in Harlem. I don't know what's happened, but something has to grow a spine here. And I love Terrence Monahan. I think he's been the spine for the NYPD. I think Shay's done what he could, uh, but leadership's not the spine. And if they're not the spine, <laughs> where are we going to turn to, right? It really is up to you and I, the podcaster, who have this platform to say, hey, New Yorkers, speak up against this. Well, the other thing too, I mean, you said the podcasters and I think I'm on my way out of the podcasting business for now. I'm probably going to wrap up this season, if not before the 2020 election, uh, subsequently right after. And I'm very tempted to run for public office. Now, it's very difficult for me to say that because I'm a full-time student. I'm in Cornell. I don't want to give that up. And likely I won't give that up because of just that's probably something that at this stage is uh, something that's better that's better for me to do at this stage. Sure. But that being said, I'm more tempted now to run for local office than I ever have been because of what's happening to the city. And if someone doesn't step up and run for mayor and fix it, this election cycle, hopefully it will be John Katzmatidis. And mm -hmm. I hope he's great and I hope he wins because I think he'd do a great job as mayor. Uh, but if we don't get the right person in there this time around, I'd be very open to the idea of going the next time around four years later at 25. So we'll see what happens with regard to that. I know you're only like a kid and you're, you got all this political knowledge. So, uh, well, now I don't want to ask you a question on your own podcast, but I've often wondered how you became so politically knowledgeable at that age, hmm. even back in high school. Well, I wouldn't say a kid, but I'm a very young man. I appreciate it. I, I do appreciate that. And in fact, someone made me older recently. They had asked me if I was graduating college and I'm just starting my junior year this coming fall. So not graduating college. I guess I'd rather be younger than older in a certain sense. But uh, 
you know, I just, I just, when I was a kid, I just read the news and just follow the news. And now I read a lot of the governmental reports and the statistics and I'm studying economics and government. So, so that's sort of where my knowledge base comes from. And also from talking to the people and you understand very well, you have to be in the community. You have to talk to the people. And one of the things that concerns me and one of the things that I have learned both in university and from reading the works of Jordan Peterson and others sure. is that um, there's a very sick underlying ideology to this, right? It's not mm. just incompetence. People in New York City, they think it's incompetence. Well, in fact, it's not incompetence. This is intentional. De Blasio supports this, right? Because he thinks that society has been unjust to these people. I mean, just in the New York Post, and I'll ask you about this because you're in Manhattan a lot more than I am, especially nowadays, given sure. the coronavirus. I'll ask you these two questions about what's happening in Manhattan. The first is I saw on Twitter a video of no traffic, no cars, no nothing. Now, de Blasio said people should stop buying cars. And that, I mean, only a fool would say that when the economy is crashing is to encourage people to stop buying things. Only a mook, but that's what he is. He's a schmuck, as Michael Savage would say. But uh, so that would be my first point is, is on uh, the cars, on the lack of cars, the lack of traffic. People right. are leaving the city. And then the second part is a follow-up to that from your experience, what you're seeing. There's pictures in the New York Post of there's a man exposing himself in the middle of the street. He's lying on the stoop of a public building. His hand is on his crotch. And, um, you know, you can imagine what's going on. These are, there's women, there's mothers walking with the children that have to sit mm -hmm. through this. And they put like, I believe it was like tents of like homeless people and sex offenders and sure. uh, pedophiles and all these things. And they put them in tents in the middle of the street. Well, I, I know this much. The city is is dying in certain parts. In the bigger parts, we need it to survive. I'm seeing lifelessness on Fifth Avenue, on Sixth Avenue, and those are the two crucial avenues in my view, right? Because you've got these strips of businesses from way downtown Manhattan all the way uptown, and seeing empty city hurts me because I survived 77 days in the neonatal unit. You know, I was there. I'm born with one leg if your listeners aren't familiar, and I roll it on one leg around New York. But how that happened? How that happened was there were doctors, there were nurses, there were people, there were New Yorkers who said, these kids in the neonatal unit are going to breathe. They're going to live. They're going to have a life. So I'm not going to say that my 28 years in this city, on this earth, is going to be spent advocating for the death of a city, especially the one that made me live. I am not going to sit here and say, yeah, these lockdowns are great. We need to keep the economy slowing down. No. And I'm especially not going to say these streets being empty are acceptable because, as I say, I didn't survive those 77 days. I haven't survived 28 years in New York City to say, let's let it die. I want to live just as long as you and I, God willing, will live. And, and I hope other New Yorkers feel that way. And when they don't, got me scratching their head. It's like, how can you go along with this extended lockdown? Why aren't you for a middle ground? Why aren't they, Joe? I don't understand it. So that's point one. Point two, I cannot say enough about I, I can't say much on the tents that you referred to. I do know this, though. I've seen a lot of people strung out on New York City streets more so than I've ever seen before outside Penn Station, middle of 23rd Street, and Lexington Avenue. Lexington Avenue. Joe, I, I, I can't stop talking about this stuff. Guys looking down on the street, lost as ever. And I'm just like, is this what the city is? Is this what it is that the people who are trying to 
produce things that are trying to move things forward in their businesses can't come back, but those strung out on whatever can have a free old time. That's got to change. And I hope you run for public office. I think we need people who are awake to say, that's not right. And as I said, the bike lane project, which I've been harping about now the last couple of days, because it's like, how can they lock us in, but say this project can resume? It doesn't make sense. But here we are. And so the similarity is like, they lock in the good people, but they let the looters, the rioters, the people strung out on something rule the city. And, in, and, and the thing is, we've got 18 months of this. 18 more months, can we withstand it? I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I would say it's more than 18 months because at the end of the de Blasio regime, likely will be stuck with uh, someone of his mentality, let's just say. And that's just, if you look at the numbers. Now, again, I do think that if the Republican Party makes the right decision this time around, and I think that if uh, Mr. John Katsimatidis goes through and runs for it, I think that's our best chance. But that being said, it's still a long shot to win that campaign. Bloomberg did it. It can be done. So we'll see what happens in that front. But 18 months is a long time, and it's really twofold. It's the economic. And I think Manhattan had something like 50 cases of the coronavirus. I mean, really, we have herd immunity at this point because of how sure. it was handled in the initial stages in places like New York, for example. Everyone likes to blame the federal government. But meanwhile, Trump sent over the USS Mercy, the hospital, mm-hmm. the floating hospital, and established hospitals in the parks, and they were right. not utilized. So that's something that's definitely uh, worth noting. Joe, the other thing we're noting about that is he brings all this stuff. We have the Javits Center. And yet, where do these COVID-19 positive patients go? Back to the nursing home? I thought these ship and, and, and the pavilion of Javits Center was used for healing people of COVID, not just skipping it completely. I mean... They kind of said, oh, look how empty it is. Well, now we know, right? We know why they were empty. It's because they weren't being sent there. They were being sent back to nursing homes. And I want your listeners to look up something else. Did you hear about this? Lawmakers were trying to investigate a de Blasio tie to a Brooklyn nursing home, which had these patients. Did you hear about this? I didn't hear. Is this breaking today? I mean, this has been around for the last few months and no one really picked up on it. But I was like, wait a minute. He has a contract with a nursing home and they're putting him back in that nursing home. <sighs> oh, so are you suggesting that there's a financial personal reason perhaps that comrade de Blasio would favor that sort of a course of action? Is that the suggestion? Is that- yeah. And I'm going to put this in our zoom chat screen so you can take a look at it. Definitely want to take a look at it. Let's see here. I see a New York post article for the listeners. I just want to, uh, Click on that and we'll read it out loud. Lawmakers rap Brooklyn nursing home operator tied to de Blasio land scandal. Now, can you explain for the listeners if you know a decent amount about what's happening with regard to the land scandal? <laughs> there well, were a lot of political uh, contribution, financial contribution yeah. problems for de Blasio, and that was somehow tied to the land scandal. So could you elaborate on that for the listeners who, who may not be familiar with the situation? Well, I'm going to cite uh, Sal Albanese in his, in his mayoral debate. He actually called out de Blasio, said there was about seven, eight investigations on this very issue. And what it seems to be is that de Blasio was giving land for political contribution. I mean, the only reason why the horse stable, uh, the horse carriage thing became an issue is because I think they were trying to make that land where the horses were a development. It's like people don't want to read those thoroughly. 
but this one gets me even more. And by the way, do you know he's involved with um with the former Nassau County Executive uh, Ed Mangano? Did you know there's some involvement, there's some tie that De Blasio had with the same uh, person accused of influencing and making political contributions? This Singh. There's a picture of him on the front page of the paper with this Singh who was involved with the uh, with Mangano. So he's deep in a lot of stuff here. Yeah. But well, but why would we talk about that, right? Why would we talk about that? Well, you know he's corrupt as they come. I know he's corrupt as they come. And he's also an open communist. And that's sort of the funny thing about communism is they say, oh, well, if we just did it our way, it would work. Uh, the fact is people act in their self-interest and he acted in his self-interest in a very corrupt way, in a way that was dishonest, in a way that betrays the faith that the people bestowed in him. And it's certainly something that's problematic. And I'll say this as well. I've never seen a worse mayor. I've never seen somebody who was less like maybe Garcetti right. in California threatening to shut up the water on the people. Maybe that competes. But other than that, with that one exception, it's absolutely absurd. He has the Gestapo now on Staten Island stopping people like this is communist China. This country is becoming like communist China. And this man is as corrupt as they come. He's as ideologically corrupt as they come. He's a total Marxist. He's as foolish and as incompetent as they come. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a worse combination. And in all of this city's history, I've never seen a worse mayor than Bill de Blasio. And everybody knows it. He seems to think that people are happy with... Uh... Well, actually, he seems to think he's very proud of the openings he's done. That's the first thing. He's very proud that, you know, baseball's back. He's very proud that, you know, at least we made some progress. Yet we're still stuck in phase four. And to answer all of that, you know, I guess he was a Sandinista. I, I don't get deep in the weeds on that. I just know right now his, his leadership is so bad. And um, he just thinks people are happy with it, which is so unbelievable and every time someone calls him out on it he's like no that's not happening yeah it is happening Mayor Bill. and then this ten thousand dollar enforcement you talk about and i want to say as well really quickly i want to just add in two things the first is something i meant to mention or i meant to mention it earlier was the fact that he said we're going to reopen outdoor dining in the summer of 2021 and he said possibly the spring of 2021 so does that imply that he thinks businesses are going to stay shut for this long and we know he hates the free market economy we know right. he private sector. So that's possible. So that's the first thing I wanted to raise. And then the second thing I wanted to raise, as bad as this man is, as foolish as this man is, he's not even, he's like the least of the problems in a certain sense, because you have a city council that passed uh, legislation that totally handcuffs the police. They're handcuffing the criminal, the police instead of the criminals, but it totally handcuffs the police. You're seeing crime go way up. You're seeing the Blasio, he disbanded the, uh, 600 officers yeah. from the, you know, undercover unit. And that was responsible for cleaning up a lot of the streets. And in black communities, by the way, very important to note, they actually, the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming majority support either the current levels of policing or increased levels of policing. This is the overwhelming majority of the black communities because the black people are smart and they know what's going on. And unlike Joe Biden says, they're a very diverse group of people who, mm think very diversely about a range of topics and they understand what's going on. And a lot of times these academics and these people who are for Marxism and for abolishing police and all these radical ideas, they're so removed from the reality on the ground. Yep. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue, but the Blasio has a clue and he's evil. Well, so you think he's 
intentionally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think he's he quoted he's Karl a, Marx, Alex. He he hates the American system. He quoted Karl Marx. He also said, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, we showed these uh, prisoners mercy. Why'd they go out and kill after we released them from COVID? I'm like, are you serious? You're really gonna ask that right now? I mean, did he really ask that? He did. And by the way, I hope this governor recalls him. There is something where he could possibly remove him from office. And I've kind of talked about this a couple times because there have been questions about it. But if the city's so bad, he has to pull the trigger on, on getting him out one way or another. This and city is not safe. There's what happened? Getting, yeah. There's, yep. there's people getting cold clocked. I mean, old ladies getting punched in the head and, and hitting their head on fire hydrants. This isn't New York City. This is and someone I know had their car broken into in, in Manhattan. So this is a, this is this isn't the new New York. Okay, let's not let it become the new New York. And I go on and on about De Blasio, but you know the other thing is, I'm glad we're talking about it because, and I'm actually glad for a minute, New Yorkers are focused on New York. What I mean by that is, at least people in New York aren't caring 100% all the time about what what uh, Trump is saying because they're realizing the national story right now isn't what's going on nationally isn't the issues affecting us. I mean, yes, the $400 a week of unemployment being extended is huge. Uh, payroll tux, tax cut seems to be helping business owners right now. But here's the thing. At least people are saying, well, wait a minute. Who cares what Trump's doing right now? We've got a city to save. And there's more and more talking like that. Have you noticed? Honestly, no. I don't notice it at all. I think the city is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't think we have a chance. I think the city is going to be ruined and the city is going to be destroyed. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be more crime. And this is just the way I see it. I mean, I wish I could sit here and say that it's going to get better. But the truth is, this city has already went to hell and it's increasingly getting worse. Just last week I saw there was an entire train in the subway, a big long train and every sure. single window was smashed because there was someone for no other purpose but anarchy was going around and smashing and smashing. And a lot of it's the fault of the universities and a lot of it's the fault of the media. And all of a sudden centrist positions like wanting to live in a safe community are now far right positions. Another thing too is the bail. I mean, you let out all these pieces of crap into the streets, these murderers, these rapists, they do armed robbery. The Joe, the minute one guy in Nassau County got released, I heard on the radio, he took off his ankle bracelet. So, oh, I saw right away. How, how, how is it these people that lead us think they're doing us a favor? I just, what world are they in? And by the way, I got to make this kind of quip. What de Blasio seems to be doing is appealing to a national base that he thinks he has, but they wouldn't even show up to a coffee house to see him speak yeah, in Iowa, you know? In the he, polls, not in wealth, but he's Mr. 1% in the polls. He's just, and then he lets the autonomous zone sit there for a month. I mean, I rolled past that. I saw the graffiti on federal buildings. I was disgusted by it. And what do you think of the polling, by the way? Do you think this is so skewed because not many people are speaking up in favor of Trump? I want to get your thought on that while we're on it. 
I think I look at the polling in terms of the trends. So when I see Trump is trending up, I think that's positive. When I see he's trending down, I think it's negative. I don't know how accurate the actual numbers are. I know we've seen them tightening. There is an over-polling of Democrats and an under-polling of Republicans. So the numbers are definitely skewed. And we saw there was relative inaccuracy in a lot of cases in 2016. Now, I'm certainly not someone who says, oh, the poll is nonsense. I'm certainly not that person because you have to use the metrics you have and be realistic about the chances. I will say this, I strongly support the president. I think most common sense people strongly support the president. I think there's a silent majority out there that's growing. Mm. And I think that there's a real chance to win. One of the things I pay attention to a lot for the election is uh, a uh, professor at American University called Professor Leachman, I believe his name is, and he has the 13 keys to win the White House. I'm not sure if you've heard of his 13 keys. I'm not. You got to send me a link on that. I'm kind of curious. It's an entire book. I haven't read the book yet, although I'm interested in it. It's a very interesting topic, and you can imagine uh, for the various reasons that it would be interesting to someone like myself, but it's an interesting (laughs) topic. And um, he predicted Trump would win in 2016, which he did. And this man's predicted accurately, by the way, every presidential election for like the last 100 years. He accurately predicted Trump would win in 2016. He accurately predicted Trump would be impeached. And now he's predicting that Joe Biden will be elected president. Now, I think he's actually misusing his own keys because one of the key, basically, if there's a certain amount of keys that the incumbent party has, they get reelected, they win. If there's a certain number of keys that the challenger has, they get elected, they win. And the threshold for the keys for the challenger is six, which is actually lower than the threshold for uh, the incumbent. So the incumbent could have more keys and actually lose. Now, of course, this is according to the system and take it with a grain of salt. I haven't read the whole book yet, but that being said, it has been accurate in predicting in the future. I think the, the reason I bring it up is I think the professor actually misused his own keys because one of the keys is a major foreign policy victory. And he mm. said that the Trump administration doesn't have that. I would vehemently disagree. The killing of uh, Soleimani. To start the year Americans, off. Yep, yep. absolutely. Killed more Americans than Osama bin Laden did. So the problem is the Trump campaign has to do a better job and a more vigorous job of highlighting this continuously. On the foreign policy front, right? So we've got someone who won the Nobel Prize. That someone is President Obama. However, I know that his airstrikes did kill civilians in Syria. And they were sort of maybe sloppily timed. But no one can give credit to precision with that. I mean, they got Suleimani. What was that? The Baghdad airport, I think it was. And they got him right then and there. Nothing else. Nothing in the surrounding areas. If you remember, he was going to maybe attack Iran earlier in 2019. But he pulled back 10 minutes before it was supposed to happen because he, he realized there could be casualties. And so that's a foreign policy victory that no one's really given him. But you and I should because it's right to. I mean, that is a good thing he did holding back until he knew it was right. And so today or this weekend marks the anniversary of Hiroshima. And whatever you think of that, it seemed to have done something that moved America forward. And that's just what it is. That's what history says. That's what I agree with. And so to think that in 2020, we could still do use the airstrike, use a bombing to move things forward for us. Now, I know the retaliation got head injuries for our guys. You remember that story, too, uh, from Iran. But the bigger picture is 
I've seen Iran being kind of silent since that bombing, haven't you? I will say, I think that uh, they always make noise. I think they actually recently put out a arrest warrant for President Trump. I saw that. It was granted, pretty funny, actually. But... Granted, that's all just for show, and, and they're not going to have that opportunity. But that being said, I certainly think it was the right move. I certainly think it was an accomplishment with regard to Soleimani. I mean, the man is a terrorist. The man killed right. more Americans than Osama bin Laden did. And to see not just the decisiveness, not just the decisiveness to act, but also to see the restraint to then pull back mm -hmm. and further escalate exactly. was something that I had a great respect for. And I think that's important as a president to be strong and to be capable and to be decisive, but at the same time to be able to show restraint and to be able to be measured. And I think that in that moment, what he did was a great example of leadership. And, and from what we've been following since we were kids, since 9-11 actually, he's the only president that really hasn't had a mess up militarily. And what I mean by that is President Bush had his mission accomplished moment, which was kind of turned out not to be true. President Obama finally did do airstrikes on Syria, but they killed civilians. This one, not only you Benghazi for Obama. By oh, way. yeah, Benghazi. That. But I'm just saying the precision of it all. Trump really didn't have an embarrassment with that. He actually had a, victories. And he had the network saying it was victorious. Do you remember that? I remember that. There were networks saying the killing of Soleimani was great. And they were arguing with Democrats who said it wasn't. I remember that time. Yeah. And I was were, like, wow, that's amazing that they got him on his side. He got they him on they even, side. yep, the media even gave him some credit. Although I will say the Washington Post, for example, called Suleimani, who is garbage, who killed Americans. They called him a scholar. They said, he oh, was yeah, a that was scholar. So, I mean, that right there, by the way, just again, without jumping too deeply into the ideological underpinnings of, of really what's happening to society, the civil unrest, the social unrest, that tells you a lot of what you need to know. And if you look at some of the signs, there's been a lot of things, especially over the last three years that point to this not being such a surprise what's happening. But that being said, I wanna say, Alex, this has been a hell of a podcast. We've done a great job with it. It's always great when we come together and in the future, we'll definitely podcast again in some capacity. Dude, I'm, I'm down for it. And I know that Cornell Review is doing well by you. So congrats on that too. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it always. You got it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Joe Silverstein podcast. Visit www.joesilverstein.com and follow Joe on Twitter at Silverstein USA. Visit www.thecornellreview.org to keep up with breaking news, our latest articles, and more. Like the Cornell Review on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. God bless America.